Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Line Check Podcast with Jack and Fee. I'm Jack. And I'm Fee. Welcome aboard. <laughs> no, it's my thing. You can't say it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, it's a collaborative process, Fee. Um, speaking of collaborative processes, today we're talking about recording and um, the applications of doing home recordings and back in studios in the before four times when we could. Um, so, yeah. The song that you heard at the start of this episode is one of my singles. It's called Retail. It's a, an anthem ode to the working creative. Um, I, I tried to write it um, born out of the frustration of having to work a, a part-time job at the same time as trying to pursue music full-time and uh, inevitably burning myself out. Um, so I suppose one of the last hurrahs before I left my, um, my part-time job in, in retail was to write and release this song with a, with a piece of film as well. Got a music video available on Facebook and YouTube and all the places that you'd usually look. Um, so yeah, that's that song. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I like this one. Thank you. It's because you're on it as well, aren't you? I think you? it's a good one. I'm on all of them. I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're live. So, Fee, tell us about yes, some of your experiences uh, recording. Um, you've put out a couple of uh, home releases and you, you did a home a home released album uh, earlier this yep. year um, <laughs> earlier mm-hmm. this year like like that means anything anymore no um, <laughs> at some point in the time paradox I released an album does anyone know um, yes I released uh, a home recorded album of it was like a one take thing it was a live stream we did um, in July and that came out in July or like the start of August I think um, and that was fairly easy for me to be honest in terms of the process because like I've got I've got a focus right I plugged everybody in took the two streams and mixed them together and lo and behold an album was born and it was fairly easy <laughs> whereas I think my only experiences of really being in a studio have been as a session musician or with you I've not done any of my own stuff in a studio I don't think ever apart no I said that's a total lie I was in a studio when I was 15 or 16 for my very very first EP when I was a wee baron with the Um, Philharmonic Orchestra of London (laughs) I was very rich 15 year old no I was in Old Mill Studios which is a studio back where I'm from I want to say somewhere near Hamilton that could be totally wrong it probably is totally wrong. But I remember the the uh, sound guy was... What's recording engineer. Sound guy. Hi, I'm a professional musician. <laughs> and that's why down. I'm the law talking guy. I can't think of the words guy. for things. <laughs> <laughs> and the recording engineer was Marshall Craigmile, who I, 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 I'm still kind of running in the same circles with, which is kind of cool, because it's nice. been like, well, like 10 years since the album. And I see he's done like obviously much bigger artist than me um, in different studios and stuff but it's cool to think that someone who's that successful did my very very first EP um, which was uh, listening back riddled with issues one of the issues being that the drummer I had was my best friend at the time who you know was alright at drums but (laughs) (laughs) in general you know, playing to a metronome wasn't really, you know, anyone's forty when they're like a teenager. So yeah. Um and my voice sounds like this the whole time and I'm like, Oh hello, I'm from Glasgow and I'm doing an E P for my school trip to Malawi and yeah, it's in general it's just not 
it's not the coolest thing ever that I've done. <laughs> so I, would, I, would I enjoyed recording it. I'd love to see it reviewed <laughs> no. like as if oh, it's a brand God. new release, like enemy coolest thing ever. <laughs> the hottest summer anthems <laughs> with Zane Lowe. <laughs> Sound of the summer. Check out if you get the chance. Studio in the snow. Um, no, don't, don't. I don't think it is online anywhere actually right now. So you can't check out even if you wanted to. It might be on my Bandcamp. Oh no. Um, <laughs> Rush to that Bandcamp. Sorry, page. I just won't say the name of it, and we're sorted. Um, but I had a really fun like couple of days doing it. I remember thinking this was really really cool, and I felt very professional and like. Yeah, just that uh, something was going to happen with this EP because it's in a proper studio and there's something to be said about the sort of... The whole process. ...status, I guess. Yeah, the status of having, like, a hiring out a whole facility for your thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Um, and the same goes for your stuff we've done in Gary Boyle's studio. It's the same kind of idea. You feel like, you know, it's quite, there's, like, a weird excitement, even though if anyone's been in a studio for more than a day, they know it's a very boring thing. But the, the whole that. idea of it... Okay, it is if you're just doing like a four-bar violin bit and you have a nap on the sofa whilst you're doing guitar overlays. Fair enough. It might. It, I can. I can understand why it might not be the most <laughs> fun experience for my project if you're not me. And I'm like, oh, time to put lots more me on it. Oh no, it sounds bad. Fee, can you cover it up? And you're like, oh, oh, oh someone woke me up. Oh, what's? Oh, just having a nap. What's going on? All right, let me just let me just have three fags and I'll do a brilliant vocal take. I was not. I have not smoked a fag in over five years. Damn, that's so wild. Take that comment and put up your nose. <laughs> 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 I've not sworn in over. How long have we been recording for? About five oh, minutes. Five, five minutes. <laughs> I've not sworn in five Excellent. minutes um, yeah <laughs> so I yeah I didn't mean like going to the studio with you is a grueling experience and I've hated every second the main the main <laughs> point of my thing was going to the studio is very exciting and it feels like there's something like important happening and it's going to be good quality and it's going to mm-hmm. sound brilliant at the end of it whereas a home recording I remember feeling during the live stream that if the audio didn't work out or if we did a terrible job I didn't have to release it. There was no no Mm. contract for that. Whereas in a studio, if you get a terrible recording and you come away however many hundred of quid lighter, you're going to feel pretty shit about yourself. Oh, there we go. I swear. I swear. Hey, break out (laughs) the fags. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But do you, do you, what are your thoughts on terms of studio recording versus home recording and that kind of thing? I really, I really agree with the sentiment that it feels like there's a little bit of extra, I suppose, spark in the air when you're in an actual, you know, professional studio environment because I, I try and not let it get too um, stressed time-wise because mm-hmm. you, you know that there's a cut-off time at which point you'll have to stop for the day or maybe for the week or whatever. But I think... Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm, na- I'm naturally a bit like a border collie in that sense. Whenever there's a project that needs to be timed and managed in some sense, I'm running on all cylinders trying to make sure everything's going to plan and organizing everything else that's, you know, as it goes. But you obviously never met my grand's border collie that completely did not, you know, attain to that stereotype at all. Oh, there's a sheep. Yeah. Ah, who cares? <laughs> better run away from it. Better try herding bikes instead or something. Yeah, well, it's still herding. Little Sally. <laughs> suppose so. The main thing that I think I take away from a professional studio experience, aside from obviously the better quality mics and the better 
space acoustically mm-hmm. and maybe even the better instruments if you're playing on something else that that you're maybe using at the studio is the engineer's mm. insight and i think yes. not necessarily as a producer but usually because they've worked on so many things and especially mm-hmm. if they know you they know your sort of style and what you like they'll be able to offer yeah. a couple of different you know um cherries on the top which you maybe hadn't thought of and would and really make it i think mm-hmm. both have their own merits and i think as we mentioned in a couple of previous episodes um the the quality of entry level equipment for being able to record something at home is only growing higher yeah. and higher so for about uh-huh. i don't know two three hundred quid you can get yourself a decent yeah, interface a, mic, a decent we... mic and then you can just oh. plug straight in and there's a plethora of free um plugins that you can muck around with yeah, even if are, yeah. even if the mic that you have doesn't sound great and you just want to plug your guitar straight into your computer it's not going to sound it as works for just good demos as, and stuff yeah it's not going to sound as sound great as a, yeah. a huge wall of amps going through the exact right pedals but it, yeah it, it helps you it's a start yeah, yeah you can get a lot closer it helps you refine your craft yeah with that. I... you can get a lot closer to the sound that you have in your head now at home i think yeah it would it suits the level you're at i think if you're buying equipment for that as well you don't want to have like a seven eight thousand pound mic in your home studio and audacity loaded up or something <laughs> like that's just yeah, yeah it doesn't make any sense um so i think keeping your equipment you know low cost until you think cool i'm getting good at this now so i need to upgrade mm. that's how i would sort of categorize home recording you got to sort of know where you're at and know if you need to invest in bigger and better equipment and when mm. i guess with the studio it's much more of like this this person's business and they will have the equipment they like the best and the things they and they'll have the techniques that they think work for everything mm. or adapting things that they've learned from other recordings to your recording which is also very beneficial but there's something to be said for home recording being able to hone your craft and like how you like to do your vocals how you like to do your guitar your violin and stuff mm-hmm. because that's at least what i found with things like with Geffergeist and that kind of thing, or just my home recordings myself, which I've done loads of that I just never released because why would I? <laughs> I'm a musician. I don't release things. God. <laughs> um, but I know, like with Geffergeist, for example, where it usually starts out, or it used to start out, I would just record the vocals dry on Logic, send them to Neil, and he'd try and mix them, and it would be about a month to two months of him not being happy with it. Hmm. And I go, right, let me take a look at it, and I can mix it in logic and get a result that I'm extremely happy with quite quickly hmm. because I've just done that now for when did I go to university? <laughs> 2012 or something? No, 2011. So I've done it for nearly 10 years mixing my own vocals and my own violin and stuff. Hmm. So you I definitely, know what I like. You pick up a lot of um, tricks and uh, tools that, that become your go-to. And I think I've, I've heard this mm-hmm. from the mouths of professional studio engineers as well. I've heard them say that once you find something that really works that often becomes your go-to and a mm-hmm. lot of what you have at your at your disposal is just a thing that you can try out for a certain project but you you kind of have the maybe two three four five main mics or settings that you go this will sound great yeah. i know i can rely on this to get the sound that i want one, one of the best things i think um that i've taken away from studio environments whether it's been me recording there or i've, I've done a did a masterclass at Castle Sound Studios with Stuart Hamilton and Gary Boyle. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, where uh-huh. we were just going through recording techniques and setting up different people and having goes uh, mis- uh, mixing and mastering through like a giant, you know, Neve SSL desk with a billion channels. 
the main thing that that I took away from it is uh, something Gary said, which is if you take one thing away from this, it should be to try something new with every different session. So say you've got like a couple of mics that you really like setting up for, I don't know, drums or guitar or something that's fairly, you know, customizable, but you, Mm -hmm. you find something that works to have that as how you record drums every time might work for most projects but it might not do everything you want or it might get a little boring or a little stale yeah so to be able or if to it's, if it's mainly suited to a certain genre or a exactly, certain exactly. so like say that you set drums up for mainly folk songs or something or, or like a, a, a three-piece jazz band or something and then like a big rock piece like heavy metal thing comes in it's not going to cut through the same way mm. so to be able to work efficiently and get something that you know you like but try something else each time i suppose will only mm-hmm. ever benefit you because if it doesn't work well then you know but if it does work and you like it then you've got that in in the back of your mind in case you need a little something mm. on another session and you're not quite sure something. what it is uh-huh. and you can go oh great let's try it like that and it might really work um and i think that's a really good mm-hmm. really good point which is that's a good advice keep experimenting and trying new things yeah. potentially slightly less applicable in a home setting because I have a couple of mics mm. that I use for most things. I think most of the experimentation for me now comes with post effects and, and oh, yeah. trying out different, you know, reverbs or different compressors or different, I don't know, any form of different plugins that I'm trying to now experiment yeah. more with and understand more about how to actually mix and create sounds I like. That's the point. With LA, mm. um, so I sent you over the dry, like, violin, and um, the thing I noticed was when, it came, when I heard it, I was like, wow, I would, I would not have done any of like the effects you put on it but i know how i would have done it and mm. that just shows again a difference between just two minds working on the same thing but in completely different ways it's still i'm not saying it's like rubbish though thanks <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm saying that different people have different yeah post effects they'd add to it and different eq settings and stuff a lot of what i like mucking around with is just seeing what i can do with free plugins or like you know i'm, I'm part of a billion mailing lists that say hey this this <laughs> plugin feature is now of the price. And this is one thing that I wanted to talk about, actually. Um, Something I came across uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been playing around with the idea of trying to orchestrate and arrange for multiple parts and write pieces for, I suppose, a string quartet or, like, you know, using cellos in an an orchestral sense. Um, And I came Mm -hmm. across, if you don't know already, there's this really great company based out of London uh, called Spitfire Mm -hmm. Audio. Um, Okay. And they have a... They have a, a set of plugins called Labs, and it's all right. entirely free. Um, and I'm pretty sure it must have been done just recording a lot of actual real instruments because it sounds very real, and then oh, okay. pitching it and okay. sampling it so that you can use it through a MIDI keyboard. But there's all sorts mm-hmm. on there. There's lots of strings. There's lots of different soft pianos. Just a- almost every type of applicable Instrument, like uh-huh. orchestral and it's all instrument. free. Yeah, it's all completely free. Wow, um, and up I've been <laughs> exactly. I've been playing around with that, and it's really, really cool and super customizable. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's another one of these examples of what can we do for free. And I think the music business as a whole is is growing as a community, and there's a lot of available stuff out there for people just starting Mm -hmm. out or people that maybe don't have enough disposable income to invest in studio stuff. Yeah. There was even during the start of lockdown, I think there was, there was a huge cut on prices for things like Ableton and Logic. And I think Fender were doing 
like free music lessons or free guitar lessons or something mm. for however many weeks it was. So a lot of people have taken this um, lockdown thing where pff, let's say 100% of musicians are out of work because I don't, I don't <laughs> want to really put a spin on that or anything. Um, and people who are, you know, they make like big businesses basically are trying to, yeah, appease the, the people who made them so big, basically the musicians and stuff like that mm. and trying to get a bunch of new people into it by making stuff just a little cheaper when we can't afford it Which and they're adapting to that market which I think is great and they're, mm. yeah, helping help me out people just starting or folk who keep one who know they can only record from home at the moment so they're like, cool, here's all these plugins for free here's Ableton Live whatever for a big discount or this plugin mm. for it for a big discount and I think that's really good to see Yeah, totally, I think it's there's got to be a lot of compassion and to see it from you know the big businesses that's the word um it's yeah. it's really it's really reassuring to know that you know they're actually you know this is this has probably all been done as a marketing ploy anyway right yeah it did, but, well, i mean everything is like yeah. everything is a marketing but ploy. for it to come this across this podcast is an advert for us as musicians <laughs> let's be honest yeah um so to have but it's free <laughs> exactly that's how we get you um mm-hmm yeah, so to, so to at least have that feeling that a lot of the bigger companies or even just other other creatives are willing to mm-hmm. put potential profit aside to support people and have a little bit of yeah. more collaboration it is, is really reassuring to see because there's not a huge amount of so, hope yeah. uh, in the music industry Woo! right now. Um, but I think hey this is where home recording comes in exactly. as a very beneficial thing I, th- I think this is, this is the thing I've been playing around a lot more with home recording stuff um, and mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that that's now such an available element of the industry you know you can do some amazing things from home oh, absolutely absolutely and I think it's mm-hmm. really challenging people to diversify um, yep. and see what they can do themselves which is great but equally I feel like it's sort of never quite a true replacement for a studio experience i think it really depends on okay. what you're looking for um it does like f- from my standpoint i again going back to get i'm afraid electronic music there is um pretty much zero point really going to a studio or an engineer hmm. to go and sit and do all your because like, it takes neil months to get everything sorted mm. on Ableton and to find all the sounds he wants and all that stuff. There's no point in booking out a studio for two days to do any of that stuff. So home recording in terms of electronic music, I think is I would I would guess, again, no research here, but I think the majority of people who are releasing that stuff are using home recording because mm. there's no point. There's absolutely no point. Um, we had a chat about maybe doing my vocals in a studio, but then we again sort of thought, well, we'd just be going in to do the one thing and we can do it perfectly well from here and not be out hundreds of quid. That's fair. You know? I think, I mean, two points from that. One of the singles that you're about to release um, with Gaffergeist, you did outsource a couple of um, things from a studio, though. You, you recorded yes. you recorded harp yep. in we a studio. We recorded harp in a studio, which took about an hour um rather than the whole like a whole thing like it would have taken if we went to a studio for the amount of time it's taken to do the rest of that track rather than just the harp we would have to rent out about i'd say about 300 hours of studio time wow this this is the thing so no i think i think that certain (laughs) studios or no i'll rephrase that i think that certain instruments are a lot more difficult to do from home 
for example, like I've got. This is what I was thinking when you were saying Spitfire. I was like, I know a bunch of people who would disagree with using any kind of MIDI instrument to replace an acoustic instrument. Like, oh yeah, I, I agree. Down. They would never ever release that. Yeah, I think I think that even just trying it out for arrangement purposes and trying to write something because I, I that's fine. I can't yeah. write um, actual you know musical notation, so I write through hearing and playing around on on Ableton. What a noob! I know, right? I yeah. don't even have a degree. Um, I can't so- believe I'm stuck here <laughs> doing a podcast with someone who doesn't have a degree. I'm ashamed and of we're, my choices. We're virtually equals. Ugh. Oh, but he's such God. a surf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so even if it's just using it to try and write something and then re-recording mm-hmm. it in a studio, I think it's it's really important to go into a studio if you're paying for someone else's for time like when you know exactly yeah. what you're doing i think yes you know for example if you, if you were to go into the studio um to do something with electronic music i can see it happening mm-hmm. to go in to either give it to someone else um yeah or to to go into a studio maybe even just hire the studio entirely and be the engineer yourself it, because you want to mix and master it sense, yeah. through like uh-huh. the best possible system so you can so you know you've got a good outcome um as opposed to necessarily doing it through a pair of tearing your hair out in your bedroom yeah, I guess through a pair of not great headphones um, you want to make sure that it Beats sounds by Dre. <laughs> thanks Dre I've never seen that from people like with Beats by Dre and they're using Beats in the studio I'm like no they are not I'm sorry it, yeah, it's like they're you just took, not you took use them, them off after the photo oh. was taken you put them in the bin and then you put your Sennheisers on or your bows on or whatever <laughs> or your Barodynamics pretty much yeah it's just really funny to me um but yeah sorry going back to that and with the string quartet thing is yeah it's the opposite problem of the electric music thing you wouldn't hire a string quartet to come in and just be like could you play an a there and then like a little quaver here and then that and then you wouldn't you know you wouldn't write it with them in the room playing it for you yeah exactly you'd only once they have something that they know how to recreate i suppose score yeah um so because they can read music jack (laughs) well i guess i'll just stick to sucking <laughs> ultimate guitar <laughs> hey do you want to sign up to get pro guitar oh no i'll go to another website because i can't oh, pay no. but yeah i think as you gain more experience um with within the realms of what you want to do if you have a home studio like there's so much pressure to mm-hmm. be able to self-produce as well and be, like the modern musician yep. needs to be their own engineer their own um, manager, their own manager, social media presence. Social media presence. You need to be your own treasurer, uh, your own label. Yeah, your own label. Accountant. Your own accountant. Your own trust fund child. Your own um, like motivation at the same time when you're doing all. You're spinning all these plates, and you're like, it's okay. It'll be worth it in the end. And you won't bef- make any money, but I promise it's worth it. <laughs> and that's before you've even picked up an instrument, right? So. Oh God! <laughs> right? Imagine that. <laughs> what are we doing, Princess Carolyn? What are we doing? Uh, but yeah so i think i think for me i've started to acquire like slowly over quite a few years Mm -hmm. the bits that i need to be able to do something well at home and i've I've now got a fairly for me comprehensive setup for the things that i need to do to the extent where i've recorded other people and released like mixed and mastered and engineered their singles and released them oh yeah so for example i've got my guitar amps that are all then wired up to an isolated cab which means i can record oh yeah full full volume recorded um electric guitar through my pedals and through my amps and it won't make Mm -hmm. 
it would make barely a noise even at full volume um in in the room that's pretty so good yeah I, I did it mainly for the courtesy of my um neighbors upstairs but it's also yes. it now means that technically i don't need to record you know electric guitar anywhere else i can do that professionally in the, of the day you can do that there. yeah i can do that mm. here um as long as you know I like the sound of my amps and my pedals. It depends what I'm looking for. But even then, mm-hmm. the tools and the guitars or the pedals that I've gravitated towards and acquired over the time have, have become the tools that I know I like using and I know how to get sounds applicable to each project out of. And I think these things take time and I'm in a fortunate position where I've taken the time and I've now got enough of a setup that I think will really work. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits of home recording is obviously it's not quite as expensive as hiring out a studio every time. Yes, mics and interfaces and all that stuff is expensive, but it kind of pays for itself. You think about the amount of stuff you can do with those things over and over again. Whereas, say you're a session musician in a recording studio, or you are from home even, if, you want, if you're doing vocals or, or an instrument for somebody else, um how do you feel about charging for that or what you know in general how do you feel about putting a price on what the the sort of service you provide the specialist skill you provide for somebody else i do find it really quite hard to put a price and a value on myself and the work that i do i think often it really depends on the project one of the most um fair ways possibly is just an hourly rate there's this cartoon that I saw once, which obviously had to be drawn by a creative, right? Um, where someone who's paid for a drawing gets it done in, like, the artist does it in 10 minutes. And they say, okay, mm-hmm. how much will that cost me? And he goes, oh, that's £100. And he goes, £100, but it took you 10 minutes. It's like, yeah, but it took me 10 oh. years for it to take 10 minutes. To learn and that's it, what yeah. you're paying for. So I think it's really difficult to charge something at face value because often we even as the artists forget non creatives think oh that that took you that much time so we often forget just how much training and how much time it took to get to the point where we could do it for a fee as a product yes you know? well yeah i agree with you there and that's how i often judge it is i will look at people of a similar who are you know, either selling a similar thing or you know providing a similar service for example with teaching um you have to look at a very a variety of things as in like the city you're in and the average sort of price of a lesson for that mm. how long you've been doing it, how much experience you have with um whatever you're teaching and with session musicians i often find because i've not done it very often i just do it when it comes along my rate for that is quite often set by the person who's hiring me's budget rather than me saying I cost this mm, which yeah. is why I quite like coming across a, mus- a musician who's like yeah my rate is this and I'm like cool I either can afford that or I can't rather mm. than me setting it for them because then you get this whole thing where say you're hiring like different musicians for different songs and different things and you're like we can afford to pay this to you and then somebody else comes along like cool my rate is way higher than that and I'm going to be doing less of less less stuff for you then you have to pay that person that mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've got this huge difference in how much you're paying different people so I yeah I don't know mm. what the best method really is either having a budget so you can pay every musician this, this flat fee you know uh, and some people might say, well, no, I'm not going to work for that, which, yeah. again, you kind of have to respect. Oh, so absolutely. It's kind of I, think it's, I think it's really important to have um, a boundary, even with yourself, if you're setting a price for your work, how how mm. much you would work for and like how much you yeah. technically walk away from. And that's difficult to do when you've already started a project. Maybe it's a, something with a friend and they said, oh, I'll pay you for your time. And you're invested and you feel uh-huh. like you can't overstep the boundary of 
some unwritten agreement that you And if you both benefit from it, then I think it's different as well. Um, sorry, what were you saying? I don't think it's on the customer to be able to uh-huh. decide what the artisan's time is worth. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, Because they, they probably know a lot more about their process than you do. And someone's rate is, say, a thousand pounds. Then you can easily say, well, that sounds like a lot of money. And I don't have that available. Thanks anyway. And then you can. Yeah, you can judge yourself. Yeah, yeah. you can judge what you can actually afford on that, Mm -hmm. which is really good as well. Um, Because, yeah, I've had a few people who I've worked with who will often just say, oh, you know, I'll just, you know, whatever you think is is best is absolutely fine. And obviously that works very well in my favor because Mm. I can then set what I think is appropriate for whatever the work they've done. So I'm taking the result of the work and then going, cool, I think this is worth this. And Mm -hmm. if I was a really horrible person, I could say, cool, this is worth nothing to me. You get no money for anything Mm. you've done. And I'm a bit worried about people like that who say things like, oh, just pay whatever you want, getting a little bit shafted by... Mm crueler people than myself or people who do what you said with the character with the cartoon like oh well you spend this long on it so you get paid whatever the normal like minimum wage would be in the uk for a normal job yeah oh, that, that's horrible <laughs> you know? isn't it like and i think yeah i often whenever i'm looking at say if, say if i'm doing a piece of work for someone you know say we've agreed a, a block fee at the start and yeah. then you know say maybe it needs quite a lot of edits or the person changes their mind as to what they want it kind of feels like at that point you should be able to say, okay, well, this is taking a lot more re-edits, so realistically, yes. my fee doesn't quite reflect the amount of work that's now had to been put in. That I've done, um, yeah. But I find it's it's such a it's such a difficult situation because you don't want to come to a disagreement and have it end on bad terms, and you also don't want to yeah, you know lose friend, the work, yeah. especially if it's something that as as a craft we should probably be proud of yeah you should be proud of and you should be enjoying if it's what you really want to do Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's any less valuable because you enjoy it yeah so i don't know maybe i I think i think it does take a bit of getting used to and really being firm with yourself and saying no i am worth this because then you have to you have to yeah have confidence in your own abilities which a lot of creatives do struggle with <laughs> mm, i think often when i'm when i'm so, thinking yeah. about a price for if someone's inquired about something and i i think through okay what would what would my time be worth okay it would probably be around this sort of figure but then i uh-huh. always immediately start doubting myself and go oh but am i worth that is like yep. would someone pay that is it too much to assume that yep. someone might pay that for me. And I think that's really linked in with the sort of self-deprecating disposition that I have. But I imagine that's, a lot of... It's all instilled in us from birth, it feels like. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine a lot of creatives would probably agree with that, where you, don't, you so, don't want yeah. to put your rates too high because you could, A, risk alienating any clients and not getting any work at all. There you go. There's your, yeah, there's your ceiling, I guess, if you're like, my rate is £10,000 for four bars. Wait, where's everyone going? You know, you can see yeah. then. Yeah, you can, you can... That's too high. <laughs> yeah, you've got, to be, you've got to be aware of what's an industry standard rate if you're expecting steady work from other industry standard professionals. Yes. But, like what I was saying with the teaching thing, you mm. need to know where you are, what you're serving, what everyone else is charging, and if you can actually justify charging the same or similar. Mm. Yeah, I think you can always justify it if, if you believe that your time and your skills are worth that, but you also need to be yeah. prepared on the converse to that, mm-hmm. that not everyone will see the same thing as you do and might say, yeah. okay, I respect that, but 
I can't pay you that for what I'm expecting to get. And it's 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 a yeah. really sometimes volatile mutual ground that you have to find. Um, yeah. And I think, I don't know, it, it, as time goes on, I really am starting to value and understand the amount of work and time that goes into it. But it's, it's not just time. I think because, because I've come up from a minimum wage sort of... Um, a minimum wage way of thinking. Degreeless. Yeah. <laughs> Wifeless, degreeless, Wifeless, degreeless, hack. albumless way of thinking. <laughs> uh, because, oh, because as, you know, a worker in that sort of industry, you're told what your time is worth. And if you want to get any money, yep. you have to agree to those terms, right? Um, and it's all yeah, horrifically much, yeah. low because to get paid a living they wage they hold all the power yeah to get paid a living wage why would they change is it? a yeah. huge amount um within that industry but a living wage just means okay now this is uh, acceptable for having to pay rent you're still it's potentially embarrassing that there's below two the poverty different line, categories right? yeah. yeah it should be living wage and the minimum living wage, well wage. Be a thing honestly oh well yeah. living better wage yeah. that minimum wage shouldn't even be a thing like i, I remember when you were younger hmm. and you were working in let's say, let's say various jobs and you were getting paid uh an astonishingly low rate for but you were 20 hmm. and in the category of ages that the government sets out wherever 20 year olds i guess are still expected to live with their parents or something or not have to pay rent or bills i guess but you got pretty royally screwed by that rule because hmm. you were earning as, as many people well, are. a teenager would earn, basically. Yeah. yeah. What a teenager would earn. But you had your own flat. You, you know, had a flatmate. You had bills and everything to pay. Mm. But you were getting way, way under what you actually needed to ha- maintain any of that. And being reasonably. a musician isn't cheap. For the first no. X amount of years, it will cost you far more money okay. than you will make. I bought, and that, that's the same I for any business. I bought a £700 mic, so it's all going to be fine. Don't worry. Ugh, the, yeah. the top 5% <laughs> of those vocals are going to sound so crisp. Everyone will Yay. hire me. Please follow me on Instagram. <laughs> that's another thing with setting a rate. You have to take into account the equipment you've got. and exactly. um, That's why studios cost so much, because they have the highest quality equipment and they've got a lot of it so yeah but it's, it's not it's just all, equipment it's knowing it. how to use that because you can give you can give an yeah. amateur a really expensive rig which we kind of talked about yeah like having a 700 pound mic and audacity and seeing what happens and yeah. they'll be able to give you a much less probably in, in most cases they'll be able to give you a much less pristine or professional outcome and product mm-hmm. than someone who really knows how to get the most out of all of these mics and that in itself is an experience and a talent so yeah. you know all of these things added up the amount of time you've been doing it for which is kind of as close to quality assurance as you're going to get in such a changeable yes. subjective industry um the equipment that you have and the actual price that you would have had to pay to be able to be in this situation to have a studio with all these mics and all these rooms and rent and stuff and also just, you know, being able to use this equipment and mm-hmm. having spent enough time use it well. doing it uh-huh. before you can even charge anyone. So, I don't know. I think it's mm-hmm. it's very difficult to navigate when you're trying to value yourself um, mm-hmm. and also put a price on someone else's work. But yeah. I think it's it's still infinitely closer to true value and true bartering and and professionalism mm-hmm. than agreeing to a minimum wage contract because 
it yep. at least then is dependable you know exactly what you're being paid but you know exactly how little you're being paid for another situation where you need Compared to have to everybody else, experience yeah. you need to have done it long enough and probably even have lots of positive references to get hired by someone that won't hire anyone without experience i love the ones that are like there's a few really funny ones i'm on a um choosing again i'm gonna mention reddit choosing beggars subreddit oh, and there's so many job job brilliant. applications oh it's the best there's a few that are like we need a specialist in insert software program here um and it says i'm like we need someone with five years experience on the software program and then someone's commented the program's only been out for three years <laughs> are they gonna yeah. find someone without that kind of thing things that are like must hold like a graduate degree in certain subjects or something and but then must the be under is, 18 yeah, minimum wage <laughs> <laughs> yes minimum wage or under 18 or yeah have like 10 years experience in the field but also be under 18 it's just so many funny things that people post on those things oh, totally. but yeah um jobs like that can get in the bin we value oh, yeah. the time you, the, the workers themselves are putting in but jobs that are not valuing you as a human or your yeah necessity in terms of living can absolutely get in the bin so it's all right because fatima can be <laughs> get into cyber she just doesn't know how much better her life will be when she's in cyber so you know maybe we all need to be a bit more like fatima and yeah. get on the cyber train and we and we value you and your time for listening to us because without oh yes thank you with, wait no we can't leave it there it sounds like i was properly like up for the cyber <laughs> thing no the adverts are disgrace i'm it with is, you it guys. is a disgrace but they're gonna but, come after me but without <laughs> an audience it feels like you can charge whatever you want and put as much time into it as, as you want but it's it mm-hmm. feels almost valueless until you've had someone listen to it and say yeah i enjoyed that so if you are enjoying this podcast thank you yeah. very much we appreciate that and uh thank you minimum wage what a way to make a living huh um, if you did enjoy it and you'd like to help us out um, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts there's a wee review starry thing there and if you want to find out when new episodes are coming out you can follow us on Spotify as well so thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll catch you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Bandcamp SoundCloud, Tinder, Tidal Deezer, Tidal, Napster's still a thing apparently. Oh, apparently, good job Snoop Dogg Napster's still going, I know Yeah. So yeah, my handle is at Jack Hinks Music and Fiona your handle Fiona Liddell Music or Leona Fidel on Instagram I should probably start, you know, making them the same but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank you for listening and we'll try harder next time. (laughs) We'll be better then. Mm